0: That's right, at Facebook.com slash show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And I have once more made the mistake of having a diet soda... While we're recording podcasts, which means by the end of it, I'm probably going to be talking a little bit like this, and I'm going to be interrupting Eric, and Eric is going to have to talk over me, which is fine because he's really good at that.
1: And belching.
0: No, I will not belch. I refuse to belch. I do. I refuse to belch, even though the Amish think it's a sign of a good appetite, as we all learned from the movie Witness. And even I will though being not belch. friends
1: with you is like sitting next to Barney at the bar <laughs> on The Simpsons. Okay
0: all right
1: all right there have been a lot of comparisons
0: of me to barney lately it happened on the phone the other night you compared me to barney i used some voice and you said oh you sound like barney from the simpsons and i i don't know how i feel about all these comparisons
1: the other night i said you sounded like um it's not mel what's his name it's the bar owner
0: i don't know i don't want the
1: bar on the simpsons
0: mo okay mo the booth the is telling us Simpsons. mo our resident straight guy right. has informed the, us it's mo the
1: expert it's mo yeah the the flame making of the uh inventor of the flaming homos um
0: <laughs> is that a thing that Mo does on yes, the Simpsons
1: Homer, uh, Homer and uh mo invented a drink called that they made with cough syrup and set on fire before they served it. And they called it the Flaming Homos because it was named after Homer and Moe. And so they were the Flaming Homos and it became this international sensation. It was like, and I was like, okay, I'd like to be offended, but this is really pretty funny. So I kind Isn't... of can't be. Isn't
0: it hard when you want to be offended, but it's funny and it's about you and your group? Yeah, it's like,
1: ooh, I feel
0: like I should be setting a better example, but this is
1: actually a funny joke. And they did also did The Simpsons is also the place where they did, um, uh, Moho House here in West Hollywood, um, <laughs> the the high rise <laughs> membership only dinner uh dinner club. Mm-hmm. I think it was called, I think it, that's what they call it. it. may have called it Homo House, but I think it was Moho House. Homo House is quite appropriate. Quite appropriate. Yeah, but yeah, that's um, the Soho House is our local uh, country club. Well, I don't know. They may have be out of business by now. No,
0: they're still in business. We are about to be lousy. You know, there were a lot that were supposed to open up during the pandemic. Uh, the Arts Club and other things that were sort of, I don't know. They may be under construction still, but I think it's delayed a bunch of it. But we're about to be a wash in elitist Members only clubs here on the Sunset Strip in beautiful sunny Los Angeles. At the very least, New Construction. (laughs) New Construction Angeles is what we're going to be called. (laughs) New Construction Angeles. Okay. You know, that's just enough fun. We have too much fun on this show. That's right.
1: There's a lot of, we've got serious business to get down to. This is the week that stars the party people. Yes. come front and center. And so we need to cut the crap and get to the big stars on this show.
0: Yes. So recently we did an episode, episode 67, was an installment of Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club. And we served up American Experience, Oklahoma City. So you can already feel the fun starting here
1: on the oh, podcast. Oh my god! Yes, this is this is Christopher's idea of fun.
0: Yes, no. So, so this dark,
1: asked... terrible thing happened. <laughs> it's
0: like my comedy that I've been working on. Right. I said, Eric, in I'm going to write a comedy, and what did you say, Eric, in
1: response to in my which hundreds die due to strange and un- unforeseen forces? And you yeah, said, Yeah, yeah, pretty kind
0: of, much. That was kind of the idea. I can't even remember what the idea was, but when we talked about it, I was like, Oh, right, it is. It is a mass death comedy of some sort. Yeah.
1: Um, no, yeah. not about Sounds that. Sounds like a riot.
0: So on our Facebook page, which is the Dinner Party Show's Facebook page, TDPS stands for the Dinner Party Show, we do something called the Wednesday question, which we often forget to do. And if it weren't for Angelina Farmer, we would maybe go whole weeks without a Wednesday question. Uh, so we tied it into episode 67 and we asked you this. Today we'd like to ask you about the piece of news conveyed to you through the radio, television, or internet that stopped you in your tracks with a force and power. Oh,
1: mental telepathy. Because <laughs> a lot of people get their news through mental telepathy. <laughs> hey man, I hear that's how Q communicates now.
0: That's how Q. That's, that's Q's thing. He that's just puts gonna it gonna in a mind. Him.
1: You that's know, how I, they're gonna catch him
0: I actually saw an episode of Ancient Aliens you know that show Ancient. everybody knows Ancient Aliens it's uh-huh. ridiculous it, and they said you know the Maybe. great artists the great artists you know Michelangelo Leonardo they all said their ideas came from they didn't know where and so it could be aliens
1: or black holes yeah or black holes in the Bermuda <laughs> Triangle Absolutely. Yeah, people will say anything for, you know, a few dollars. Yeah, we will. I mean, hell. Absolutely. Call us. We'll absolutely say it. That's
0: why later in the podcast, we'll have a commercial for Nazi toothbrushes here on TDPS, the proud new sponsor of. Not funny. (laughs) Nazi toothbrushes are not funny. Too far, huh? I
1: finally went too far for Eric Sharp. Not funny. I'm not. I don't think the Nazis are that funny, except on Hogan's Heroes.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, maybe we'll serve that
0: up one true crime TV club, an episode of Hogan's Heroes.
1: Well, but anyway, on there. It's a very serious World War II drama about incompetent Nazis.
0: Incompetent Nazis, the best kind,
1: the so, only
0: kind. I think it's gonna. We're gonna spend the whole episode with me trying to get through this question and continually getting distracted, and we're gonna do asides. No, there's not much more to it. <laughs> what was the news and where were you at the time and why has it stuck with you so and then i i prompted people you see which i probably shouldn't have done i was leading the witness was it the bombing of the murrah federal building which we talked about in episode 67 was it the levee breaks after katrina 9 11 the kennedy assassination i wanted to include the older people we we all have our unforgettable news moment what's yours and then at the very end i made it sound like you were actually on the news your unforgettable news moment you were the colorful witness to the house fire who said the thing that went viral on youtube no that's not what we meant we meant where were you when and you know the answers i thought ain't nobody got time for this they're right (laughs) were you antoine dodson on the news um I had there were some unexpected answers in there. Like obviously a lot of 911. We'll talk about those. A lot of 911. That was sort of sprinkled through everybody's answers.
1: Well, I mean they, they, it's such a, a pivotal moment and like everybody remembers where they were because it happened early in the day so no, we were fewer of us were drunk yet. Yeah.
0: <laughs> speak for yourself. So we remembered B.
1: where we were. <laughs> Right. Right. I, I got fewer. drunk later. I didn't say all of us were drunk, <laughs> but uh, uh, we were more aware because it was first thing in the morning. But yeah. yeah.
0: So we will at some point give you ours. We usually sort of intersperse it with yours. We have we got a lot of responses to this, which is why we picked this. You never know which Wednesday questions we're actually going to put on the show, and it depends on the force of the response. Boy, don't ever ask people to define justice in three words. That got no traction at all. People were not interested in reducing their concepts of justice down to a glib soundbite. And I think that's probably for the best and speaks well of our party probably people. Probably
1: speaks well of the party people, I was going to say. That's a fine comment on the people who listen to this show. Yeah. So uh, how would you?
0: Um, that's enough.
1: Um. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still talking. I apologize. <laughs> I'll try and be quiet. I mean, I know it would be a much better podcast if all this talking was stopped.
0: No, it would just be me reading things because I'm an I'm a reader. I enjoy reading things. Angelina Farmer actually started us off with a response that I was not expecting, um, and she actually said it the previous Wednesday because we forgot to. Talk- <laughs> she sent it to us by carrier pigeon right by mental telepathy right mental telepathy thank you Angelina Mount St. Helens erupting she was the only one who said this in 1980 I don't remember where I was like I remember it
1: happening but I don't remember the moment
0: yeah she was three years old so props to her for remembering but she says the only reason I remember it is because my bestest friend and her family were supposed to be there on that day, and I thought I had lost her. God, that's so upsetting. But
1: also, wow, what Wow, for a three-year-old. Jeez, that's really, that's heavy news. So you don't remember Mount St. Helens at all? I remember it erupting, but I don't remember, I don't have a distinct memory. Like, the part of the question that sticks with me is, like, the where were you when. Like, right. there were things that I, where I can tell you Pretty much where I was when, but there's stuff that's like, I remember it happening. It was a huge event, but I can't separate out that moment. That's why 9-11 is so, yes. I think probably a recurring thing because there it was on television and it was kind of like, you couldn't believe it. And there I, it
0: was. And there was the liveness of it. And I, my question about some of these stories is like, did that change over time? Is it possible to be far more connected now, moment by moment, to a terrible unfolding news event than it was in, say, 1963? Like, the Kennedy assassination was not broadcast live, right? No. Like, that I know of, Look, yeah.
1: Until Walter Cronkite said something on the news, I'm not even sure most Americans knew what we, that something had happened. Like, if you go... Yeah, it's not even really possible now to imagine the way in which news came out just as recently as 1963. I know that's a while back, but, you know, it's not like it came in by stagecoach and steamership from (laughs) uh, the uh, from the continent. Uh, You know, like but it was really a long time. Like, I will tell you, one of the things I thought of in answer to this question was when Pope John Paul was shot. And the Mm -hmm. reason that one sticks with me is I was running an errand. I was in college and I was running errands for um, uh, an advertising agency I was working for. And I was in the car and they broke in and announced it on the radio. And I remember thinking in the car, wow, that literally just happened on the other side of the world Mm-hmm. and i already know about it isn't that incredible i remember having that thought and even saying that to people when i got back to the office and told them because they didn't know they weren't listening to the radio um mm-hmm. they were working um i was too but i was driving so it was less the same but it was but it is that immediacy that i think really does characterize a lot of people's yeah um and with yeah 911 we watched it live on television
0: yes well the people who woke up when the phone was ringing 600 times in the other room did. I did not. And I wasn't drunk and I wasn't even hungover, which during this time of my life was a rare event. But I had put the portable phone in the other room and I was just thinking, my God, why was it ringing? And uh, I was with somebody at the time and he had gotten up to go to work. Uh, He worked on a show for MTV, I think in casting or something. And he um, left... And I heard voices outside. I heard him talking to somebody and he started pounding on the door because he didn't have a key. So I had to let him in and I got out of bed and I opened the door for him and he said basically all of 9-11 in three sentences. Terrorists have hijacked planes and flown them into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and both towers of the World Trade Center have collapsed, period. That is literally verbatim what he said. So it was like all of it I swallowed in one gulp. And my immediate thought was everybody I know in New York City is dead. New York City is gone and it's dead. And when I turned on the television, the images were all out of sequence, which was there. And, and you see that now when you watch, they, they show the old footage, they show the middle footage and the new footage. One tower would be up, both would be down. There would be so much smoke. There was no telling if the towers were up. And I just remember seeing that smoke cloud all over New York and thinking, this is it this is the apocalypse or this is the beginning, you know, like where does this end? I have no frame of reference for an event of this scale. And, and yeah, yeah,
1: nobody did. Mom called me, I was getting ready for work and she was telling me, Oh, a plane flew into one of the buildings in New York. And, Mm -hmm. And I was like, and I was trying to calm her down. I was like, yeah, a plane flew into the Empire State Building years ago, and it's awful, and there was a fire, but I'm sure it'll be fine. She was like, no, you really have to, like, turn on the television. So I turned on the television, and I'm going to say maybe 30 seconds later, a second plane flew into the other tower while I was watching television, Mm -hmm. and it's, like, seared into my eyeballs. Like, I'm never forgetting that because I literally... Was connected to it as it was happening. That kind of immediacy changes like the Gulf, the first Gulf War. I, I watched all of the television programming that I could and, you know, practically had to uh, practically got fired from my job for staying up all night watching the right. thing. But I don't remember where I was when they said Saddam Hussein has invaded Kuwait
0: no, 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 no. I don't either. And it, There was such a build up to that event. I remember that event, right? We talk about it. It was the birth of CNN. We were waiting for war to break out as a result of that invasion or for our invasion to result. And I remember tuning in every night to see if it had started yet. And then one night it just did. And we were watching and they were bombing Baghdad and it was live on CNN. And CNN was and really the, the only one on the ground. Was the Scud stud was standing there. And it was really about watching what they were going to do to Israel because they kept launching SCUD missiles at Israel and they would either land or they wouldn't. So going back to uh, our beloved party person, Angelina Farmer's uh, answer, she also listed 9-11. She said on 9-11, she was woken up by her mother, who called to tell her the U.S. was under attack. Uh, She worked nights and turned on the telly. Is she British? Angelina, are you British? Is this you outing yourself as a British person by using the word telly? Uh, Then called my brother and talked with him a while while watching the events unfold. The phone bill was phenomenal as he lived out of state and we talked for hours. I want to ask you, because you were just describing... Out of state is not very British. Okay. that She's not British. She just likes the word telly. That's the yeah. thing. Okay. This podcast is also called Getting to Know Angelina Farmer Better, but in an appropriate and boundary way. person
1: or... Euro trash. What was that thing that gay or Euro trash? That used to be the thing in Details Magazine. Does Details Magazine still exist?
0: I don't know. Party People, does Details Magazine still exist? Go on the Dinner Party Show's Facebook page and tell us.
1: That they probably great. got
0: canceled. I think they did something that was really controversial. I don't even want to say what it was. And it was really not a good idea. Oh, and it was in the yeah. vein of gay or Eurotrash, but it was racist. So, anyway, that's we pretty. Oh, uh, yeah. It.
1: They did yeah. O Face, too, I think. O Face, yeah. or. Anyway, back to real yes.
0: disasters, not yes. just
1: fake ones like
0: Details not Magazine. Just
1: bad, not just magazine publishing disasters.
0: When you were watching 9 11 unfold and you saw the second plane hit. Did you know what you were seeing at first? Because a lot of that footage, it just, there was an explosion and you didn't see the plane. The plane went in really fast on the other side of the angle.
1: Yeah. It was really, like, the whole thing was so completely surreal. I mean, I know that's a, that term has gotten to be completely overused, but it was very hard for me to wrap my head around this being a real thing that I was seeing. It mm-hmm. looked more like some CGI thing from a movie. It looked like Independence Day or right. something like that, as opposed to something I was actually watching live on television. I, I couldn't quite get my head around that. I couldn't quite get to the place where I could believe my eyes. Mm-hmm. Does If that makes sense. Oh, there yeah, a, absolutely. There I an, felt there was the a same total, way. There was an unreality to watching it. Um, subsequently it was footage and playback and you seeing things in context and people running out of the path station and all of those, all of that stuff was, you know, ga- grounding and contextual and whatever. But I turned on the television, one of the towers was already smoking and a plane came flying up and there was that explosion as it crashed into the, as you say, it was kind of off, it was a little bit off camera. It went mm-hmm. behind the building and kaboom and, and everybody just flipped out. Right.
0: Absolutely. On the morning of was, 9-11, um, but oh, I'm sorry, keep going. I, I no, you, it was yeah. too
1: much to, it was too much to see as real. It was, it was, it was like the, um the Aztecs was it the Aztecs or the Mayans? I can't remember, but the people from uh, the, the Mel Gibson movie, speaking of unforgivable disasters,
0: Um, (laughs) the movie was actually great.
1: Apocalypto. When they saw the Spanish ships sail into the Harbor, there wasn't any real wrapping. It wasn't clear to them what they were even seeing because it was, there was no comparison to any form of reality that they had experienced previously.
0: My my first instinct, once I plugged into what was actually going on and it turned out to be completely wrong, a lot of people forget this. Timothy McVeigh, getting back to the Oklahoma City bombing, had actually just been executed. And I was fully prepared to believe that these were domestic terrorists who had hijacked these planes and that it was a retaliation for the execution of Timothy wow. McVeigh.
1: I, interesting. I, had not, I did not ever realize that. I did not yeah. connect those two things. I was done with Timothy pretty much right from the start as were so many yep,
0: yeah bobby smith was in dallas on the morning of 9 11 he was driving into work and at first the radio report said it was a plane crash by the time i arrived at work there were other speculations and only a few minutes after i arrived the second tower was struck so the moment that you were describing watching on television here on the west coast my sister worked for united in crew training and hospitality and knew several of the crew members at the time that is oh incredibly dear. sad Uh, Both were very sad days. He also talked about remembering the JFK assassination as a junior in high school. We'll circle back to the JFK answers. Catherine Tabor Seidlitz also put 9-11. She was driving to work. A lot of people were driving to work. When she heard them talking about the Pentagon, then they mentioned the tower. She drove 20 minutes to work with the breaking news on. And when she arrived at school, the TV was on in the teacher's lounge. And when she went to clock in, the second tower fell. I walked down the hall to my class of two-year-olds. She says and tried to pretend everything was was okay. Excuse me, we were scared and couldn't have the radio on in the classroom. Surreal. I mean, that's an interesting thing because you're with two-year-olds who don't necessarily need to be told and probably couldn't handle it if you did tell them. So you're just sort of understand. I mean, really. Uh, Amelia Pickens also put 9-11. She was living on a U.S. Coast Guard base on a barrier island at the bottom of Louisiana. Uh, She says, my husband and I had plans to go to New Orleans that day because he had the day off when the station called a red alert. He had to go back to duty. I was glued to the TV after I saw the second plane hit. It was unbelievable and heartbreaking. How plugged in did you stay to the TV footage as 9-11 continued? Like, I remember... Drinking a lot of wine and falling asleep to just endless news footage of the crater and then waking up to sunrising on the East Coast on TV and it's still being dark here in LA. You know, I just remember getting lost thinking someone would find an answer or there would be something else. Like you, there was that period where you just kept turning the TV on to see if something, there had been some other attack, you know, or if it was going to continue.
1: Well, my boss at the time who I lovingly called the Ayatollah (laughs) um, insisted that we go to work on nine 11 while all of that was unfolding, I was at work. And so I did not stay as connected during the day. I don't know that it wasn't kind of ironically beneficial to me. It was still like the day was so stressful because you didn't know if there was going to be more hmm. Like we seemed like we were in L.A. I worked in not the highest high rise, but I worked in a taller building. Um And. I didn't necessarily want to be there, and so mm-hmm. we were sort of trapped there and we were like, oh, my God, is this really anyway? Um, it was. It was it was very I felt uncomfortable because I didn't know what was happening and we couldn't right. really stay tuned in because he insisted that, I can't even remember his reasoning it was like, well, is everything closed? And they cancel everything? Did the government say to stay off the roads? And I was like, well, no and he said, well, I don't see why we shouldn't go to work he didn't sound like that, he didn't he wasn't <laughs> mocking about it, but he was very, but it was one of those like wow, okay, dude you know, because our work is so essential, processing membership roles and yeah, I was going to say, what were you doing? Where were you working? I was working at the American Academy of HIV Medicine. Like, oh, okay. Not the most, you know, not the most, not the nerve center of mm-hmm. the country at the time. But I think there was a certain amount of, you know, in, in deference, I'm going to say there was a certain amount of just not knowing what to do
0: mm-hmm. in the
1: moment. It's like being in some weird social setting of like, uh, how do you behave when there's been an attack in New York and Washington and possibly Pennsylvania. Who knows what that was Mm -hmm. about? Um, And so we got some reports during the day, but we weren't as glued to the TV as a lot of people were. So it was an incredibly stressful day and I didn't really get to kind of unwind until I was meeting uh, my friends over at another friend's house Mm-hmm. And I remember that moment I drove with my friend John Wesley, John Wesley Ship, who was on mm-hmm. Dawson's Creek, I think even at the time, um, maybe he had just finished, I can't remember. Um, we drove over to a friend's house and as we got there, they put on, uh, I play it every year on mm. or a lot of years. I post it on my Facebook account, uh, Luke's Nocturna, I think it's called, or I can't remember exactly, Nocturna. Um, it's a piece of music, NPR played it. And they, without commentary, they just put it on. It was just we just sat in the car and were kind of in 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 peace for a minute mm-hmm. with this piece of music, trying to just sort of sort through it because it was so completely discombobulating.
0: Yeah, we will find that piece of music and post it on the Facebook page. And if we don't, Angelina, remind us because you shared it with me and it's a beautiful piece of music. Um, I think it's Lux Aeternum. And John Rudder or John Sutter, John Rudder something. I will find it and we will post yeah. it because, yeah, it's gorgeous and
1: haunting. Or look at the nine eleven page on my Facebook page and it'll be there probably because I posted a lot of years. But, yeah, it is. it has remained. It means something to me. Mm-hmm. Not enough to remember the title accurately, apparently, but um, but it does. It really did mean that piece of music really meant something to us in that moment.
0: There were so many... Pieces of that disaster, if you became fixated on it, if you became obsessed with it, as we sometimes do with true crime stories here, and it is an epic true crime story, or
1: anything else,
0: yeah, it that you could spend. I still find myself on YouTube watching animations of the plane's last movements, listening to you know the black box, they're not black box recordings, but the transmissions from uh the flight attendant Betty Ong, who was on American Flight 11, who actually was responsible for delivering more information about what happened on the planes that day that came out over the day because she called ground control or operations from, I think, just one of the passenger phones or something in the backseat. And she's the one who said they had box cutters, they used mace, they stabbed people, they're inside the cockpit, we don't know what they're doing. And um, you know all of that stuff is available on YouTube. It can get really dark and it can get really depressing, but there's a part of me that because I slept through it I go back. There's something about watching what was happening live on the morning shows in the minutes before the news broke. It's like this lost period of innocence because it was that seismic event. You know, they were just talking about crap. It was a really slow news day before that happened, there wasn't much to report. President Bush was going to give a press conference, I think, about stem cell research, which he thought was going to be kind of the banner issue of his presidency. He was a conservative president who was going to. He was
1: reading to children. Yeah,
0: he was reading to children in Florida at a school when it. Yeah, it's just all this moment. It's like I had friends who had forgotten that Bush was president. They were liberal Democrats and they were not a fan of his. And they had sort of disconnected from from politics. And anyway, it's definitely probably my answer to this question. Although I would say one of the oddest moments, and I think it was another shift because it felt like the beginning of something that has still not gone away, and some of the, some people picked it, but not a lot, was Columbine. When the Columbine story broke, I was in Bookstar in Studio City here in California, which is basically a Barnes & Noble owned by the same company, big bookstore, and there was a radio playing somewhere in the store in the employee room or whatever, and I could hear it because it was a quiet bookstore, and somebody on the radio was describing students running from a campus in Colorado. And I thought, Oh my. is that a movie commercial? Like, what am I hearing? I, I was like, wait a minute. And this was kind of pre, I mean, it's not pre-internet, but it was pre-social media being connected through elaborate smartphones. It was like... I had to get home to sort of figure out what the hell they were talking about. Or maybe I turned on the radio in the car and drove back to my apartment. Uh, Linda Turner also brought up Columbine. She said, as a Colorado native and resident my entire life, Columbine seemed to be the beginning of a too frequent incident. It was beyond comprehension. I was working not too far from the school. We watched it unfold on TV in our office. It was gut-wrenching. And then she said the same of the movie theater shooting in Aurora, also Colorado. Another incomprehensible act. Um, uh, I don't know what I did with the other Columbine Oh, it was Justine Adamek also said Columbine. I saw one of the students climbing out of a second story to escape, and I just lost it. Yeah, I just... I guess there
1: were mass shootings before Columbine, maybe that I'm not remembering, but... I mean, not really like that. There had been, there was the the guy in the tower at the university in right. Texas, and there were the occasional, but it wasn't like it is now, where once a week there's the new mass shooting because everybody has a machine gun now, which they're right. particularly the crazy ones, and so mm-hmm. they're you know delighted to go to schools and first grade classrooms and wherever and mow people down. And of course the do nothing assholes on uh, a particular political side of our government are opposed to doing anything to save anybody's life ever, including Mm -hmm. like deliver water to uh, to Katrina Mm -hmm. hurricane victims and uh, uh, (laughs) encourage people to wear masks uh, Mm -hmm. to prevent... Death from what call it. So why would they take away guns from crazy people and terrorists when that would just save somebody's life that they won't have to pay for, and mm-hmm. they'll be able to instead buy themselves another solid gold trinket for their collection? Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, I guess we have gone a little on the dark side here. This is supposed to be a cheerier episode. Let's try and cheer this room up, shall we? <laughs>
0: That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Uh, Coming in off of your last remarks before that little break, I don't necessarily think this needs to be a cheerier episode. This is ultimately about the most upsetting news story some people will ever hear uh, in their lives.
1: So we, well, memorable. I mean, it could be any number of things, but yeah, like where were you when, um, they overturned DOMA?
0: Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you remember walking
1: down to the park and standing there in the, yes, West Hollywood park waiting for, um, Chad and the, was that uh, when they overturned DOMA or was that a California thing? I think that was, I think that was prop hate. Yeah. Uh, Doma was more televised because they started performing marriages immediately. The, yeah. the couple was flown back to California and married at City Hall. But those are, those are certainly memorable moments. But yeah, you're right. This sort of the simultaneity of these big time experiences. Probably if I was going to pick one, I would pick the verdict in the Rodney King trial.
0: Oh, okay. Wow. I was
1: I was at, uh, I was working uh, for a lawyer uh, in his home office. And mm-hmm. ironically, I had been in the same house for the, my first LA Academy Awards. Hmm. Um, and at the time I had stood out, it was up in the hills. It was up in Mount Olympus. And I had stood up on the on the deck at his house and looked out over the, um, the searchlights sweeping the sky mm. and, you know, the, the, the helicopters and all of the, you know, the the world was looking at us because it was the Academy Awards. And I stood in the same spot and watched the fires break out. And oh, the, wow. The, the, the same helicopters. And once again thinking, and now the world is looking at us again. It was. And we
0: were. It was yeah. really.
1: Yeah. It was a hideous moment, but I very much remember that being there and being there in that moment when all that hell broke loose. It was just it it was just almost instantaneous. It was like a fire that yeah. broke out at Florence and Normandy and spread throughout the city. I remember not
0: really in terms of our friendship, not realizing how affected you had been by that until a documentary came out called LA 92, which is a remarkable piece of filmmaking. It is a documentary about those events, but it has no narration. It tells its story entirely through archival footage beginning with the watts riots the history of race and, and policing here in los angeles and racism um and i remember recommending you should watch this and you were like no thanks i lived through it you re- because you really did you lived through those events and it the documentary is is designed so that you are in it i mean you are in it there is no buffer there is no commentator I was driving yeah. home
1: from work even though it was just a mile or two um, was terrifying, and those few days after were terrifying.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like
1: you, d- you didn't know what was going to happen. The police didn't do their job, and people were getting shot, and things were getting set on fire. It was a terrifying moment.
0: You know, before we get too far off the subject of school shootings, which is the type of thing you only hear on this podcast, I want to. Uh, Courtney Teague had an interesting response. She she said the most impactful one I can think of. Was actually the Thurston High School shooting. I don't know anything about this event. I was only 11, Courtney says, and my school went into lockdown and they caught the kid. At the time, I was also delivering newspapers. Those are images I will never get out of my head because I was greeted with front page photos of the aftermath for weeks. I need to learn more about the Thurston High School shooting. I don't know I don't anything know about it.
1: That. Where, I don't know where it even took place. We I mean, will find I may out. have been in the moment. And I mean, sad to say, that there was a shooting at a high school and I don't I, remember it. That's that makes me kind of sad. I like, know because there have been so many. I can't remember them all. Like Exactly. That's yeah. that, that. That's a heartbreaking comment. If that's the truth. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, I don't know if anybody here, I'm looking through our responses said the Rodney King verdict, you know, and I remember it. I remember in being in new Orleans, a child was I in new Orleans or was I? Yeah, no, it was new Orleans. That was the nineties. And seeing the fighting break out immediately on the grounds of the courthouse in Simi Valley, seeing people, the protesters immediately begin. And then it just sort of spread all over the city.
1: Yeah, Um, it was instant. Yeah. Just like swept through the city and watching it unfold at that kind of angle was really remarkable for me. But yeah, I would think everybody would remember that, but maybe not. I I don't know what time of day that would have been for everyone else. I think it
0: was later in the evening because it was sort of dusk around here, wasn't it? I remember the footage of Florence and Normandy I think it was like late afternoon here. It
1: happened like three, somewhere between three and five would be my guess. I don't remember specifically, but I stayed there as night fell and saw those fires breaking out. But I don't remember it specifically as to what time it actually happened.
0: So we're going to go further back in time for the next two responses. Carol Horger Bull... And Amy Bellino, both beloved party people, had the same response. They both brought up the Challenger disaster. Carol said, one of the most horrifying moments that haunts me to this day is the Challenger disaster. I watched in complete disbelief. I couldn't process the loss. I still can't watch replays. Brave lives lost. Amy uh, was 10 years old, She was watching in class. She says the instant shift from euphoria to horror was like a physical shockwave through the classroom. Just thinking that. I remember the kids that were. Oh, yeah. The
1: teacher was on board. So the kids, her own class was watching it.
0: Krista McCulloch was the teacher. She was the citizen who had won a lottery, basically, to be aboard the Challenger when it took off. Um, I remember watching the puffy white trails of smoke and thinking it resembled a scorpion in shape. And then the voice of our principal came over the school PA system telling the teachers to turn off the TVs. That is a haunting detail. One student started praying, then another, which prompted our teacher to lead us in prayer. The rest of the day is a blur, but watching death on live TV for the first time or any other time for that matter is something you never forget. Netflix has a documentary series that came out recently, four episodes about the Challenger disaster that I watched. It was, uh, it was interesting. It was upsetting. It was disturbing. You learn a lot about Kristen McAuliffe, who was the teacher. Uh, you learn a lot about Morton Thiokol, which was the company that ultimately ended up taking it on the chin for the fault right. and the O-rings that caused the disaster. We were not watching. It was not something that we watched. I was at a very experimental school in San Francisco at the time, I, I guess the space shuttle was too patriotic for us. I don't know what the deal was, but I was, I'm was i one of the only kids <laughs> from that generation that was not watching the takeoff. When, when we moved to New Orleans and I transferred to this sort of very conventional Episcopal school, all of the children there had had that experience. They had been watching live. They were devastated. People were crying. The footage I'll of her that. parents—
1: yeah, and I would think that would be the primary market of people who are watching because it was a day It was timed for that. Right. And everybody was, you know, had parked their kids in front of a tele- television to watch the launch and talk about this teacher going into space. And so I think that you are more likely as a child to have experienced that one live on television, which I just think is, yeah, that's that's heartbreaking.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of New Orleans, since I just said I moved there, really only one person mentioned Katrina, and that was Dusty Drochet. He said, living in New Orleans at the time of Hurricane Katrina, I'll always remember finding out about the levee breach. I evacuated back to Houston and watched the news with dread, then relief, and then horror. That's, that's one of those stories where it's like, did it happen in a single instant enough to capture everybody's attention, I think, in the way that we were kind of asking in the question, I think the answer is no. What I remember was people th- waking up that morning and thinking, oh, it was a near miss, right? New Orleans got spared, just some shingles taken off the roof of the Superdome. And there were news footage of people walking around downtown and no flooding. And then the levee breach happened later that day. But I remember thinking, as a lifelong New Orleanian, almost knowing how much, um, how underwater the city is most of the time, they better put a helicopter in the air to see if they're really in the clear because I knew where those levees were. I knew those canals ran all over the city. And sure enough, later that day, but it was, I think it was sort of two levee breaches that happened hours apart, you know, Um, because the spinning motion of the, the hurricane went east of the city is where it made landfall. Uh, Decimated parts of the Mississippi Gulf Coast which often doesn't get talked about. They really got it front and center. But the spinning motion, I guess it's a it's a counterclockwise motion that hurricanes operate on that drove the waters of Lake Pontchartrain sort of up and then down back into the city, pressing against those levees. And that eventual pressure is what caused those levee breaches and so it happened it was like a cascade, you know. It wasn't like a nine eleven where two planes hit the twin towers within kind of moments of each other, uh, and and then it was about watching just scenes of of devastation and flooding over a period of weeks. You know, it was it was one of those disasters that just continued to unfold and eventually yeah, kind of it was you know, a, it
1: was a broader it was a lower speed sort of event, and it, it was part of a bigger event, so it was less instantaneous. It -hmm. wasn't like a car crash, but not that different than something like Columbine or some sort of hostage situation that unfolds for maybe not a long time, but certainly over a period of time. Right.
0: Um, So we got, we had two kind of outlier responses. I thought they were interesting because they were not disasters. They were about people. They were sort of about individuals. And Natalie Gudermason, I always mangle her name, and she is one of our top fans, so I apologize, Natalie. The first ever incident I remember shaking our house was the death of Princess Diana. That Ah, summer, my mom had left her boyfriend, and we moved to the provinces to go live with my grandma for a time. And my mom kept her hair short and her profile was very similar to Princess Di, so much that strangers told her she looked like Diana all the time. So when the news came on, the national news, our TV was on for days. Both my mom and grandmother were in tears that day, and I couldn't fully understand why. My grandmother's father had come right from England and her mother from Scotland, but I didn't learn those details until much later as an adult, But I do remember seeing images of the car smashed on the highway and watching the funeral, seeing Prince William and Prince Harry, not much older than me, and understanding they'd lost their mother. That was heartbreaking. Now, watching The Crown, even though it's fictional, it's even more heart-wrenching because I remember watching the sadness in my mom and grandma that year. Yeah, I learned that on the ticker in Times Square. I was in New York. I was living there, and I walked out, and it scrolled across above, you know, where the ball drops, Princess Di killed in car crash. Like, wow.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know that I have a particular memory of the moment. I remember it happening, but I think it was more of a, you know, saw it on the news kind of event as opposed to the breaking news kind mm-hmm. of realization of, oh, God, here's where I was. Um, I but said, still, yeah. a world shared, a, the
0: world shared a tragedy in that moment. Uh, absolutely. I remember controversy afterwards. I remember George Clooney holding a press conference about the paparazzi and blaming the paparazzi yeah. for the death because they chased her into that tunnel in Paris. And it, it continued. I oh, Wendy Bernardi Kip. Although there have been many moments throughout my life that are frozen in time, this is one of my earliest and made me realize how fast life can change due to an evil individual. It was 1980. I was in my bedroom getting ready to go to school. My mother, who was watching the morning news downstairs, let out a scream. Then she said someone had shot and killed John Lennon. We were stunned that someone could murder such a brilliant, peaceful artist in cold blood. Is that an event that you remember, 1980, the assassination of John Lennon?
1: I remember people gathering and singing Imagine. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think that was very much after the fact. It was, it was, he was, it seems like he was coming in in the evening mm-hmm. when he was shot. And so it was already yeah. later in the day when it happened. And it was, right. while the news was out there, I heard about it as news, but I think the only thing, the first real like cognizant, you know, the, the visual moment that I remember is people holding candles and singing, imagine, I'm not even sure where. You know, Wendy's, Maybe England, maybe New York, who knows?
0: Uh, Wendy describes a scene in which it's like first thing in the morning when she's finding out, and that suggests maybe he was killed the night before, and then the news really went out over the morning news nationally. I don't know. That again, could very
1: well have happened. 19, I, don't, I just honestly.
0: 1980 was before the sort of 24-hour constant news cycle that we live in now, so people, there could have been a delay yeah. in how people
1: found out. Um, we were in. Co- I was in college at the time, and it was the topic. Yeah, like it was not on. I remember my friend Suzanne being really disturbed by it. I yeah. was certainly not. I was not that I wasn't disturbed, but I remember her being particularly emotionally affected by it. You know,
0: it's it's really interesting to talk about all of these moments in the middle. Well, not in the middle. We're coming out of it. I hope. Fingers crossed of uh, a seismic news story that has gone on for a year, really over a year now, which is the coronavirus yeah. pandemic. Like how do these moments register with you now in the context of this, this series of, un- because not only has it been a pandemic, it's been protests against racial injustice across the country, which have resulted in fires and, and, and deaths and mass arrests. And here in Los Angeles, there were, Um, There was looting But there were also Burning of buildings That were possibly caused By people that were not Associated with the protest You know like There has just been Wildfire It has been a year A constant year Of disruption And conflict And outrage And pain And mass death Like Are these events Going to haunt us At the same level uh, For those of us Who have lived through this year I don't know You know like
1: it has been a particularly yeah. Twenty twenty was a pretty awful year. I I was struck recently, like one of the last public events that we participated in was your birthday on the eleventh. We went to uh, Le Petit Le Petit Four down mm-hmm. the street to have lunch and. I just recently realized that that was the day that the World Health Organization declared it a pandemic. Absolutely. I don't remember it registering with me in that moment because we were still planning to have our joint birthday dinner that Saturday on the 14th. It was also the last recording session in the studio for this Mm -hmm. show. Mm -hmm. We've been doing it remotely ever since, but those things and we canceled the party, but it was sort of like out of an abundance of caution because we weren't sure and it seemed inconsiderate not to. And some of the guests were already canceling. Yeah, that
0: was really it. People were canceling on us because they were saying, Rachel Maddow is saying, we've got no national plan for this. We need to take it upon ourselves to be the conscientious ones and not go out in public even before that order came down. Yeah.
1: But the thing that I think that really is going to stand out about certainly 2020, but the, time period, this particular time period, is that at some point we're going to have to come to a reckoning with the fact that for four years we had um, a hostile agent of a foreign country living in the White House and dictating policy in this country and preferring chaos, to um solution and to, I just, to me, that's the thing that stands out about it is mm-hmm. that there was an agent of chaos for whatever reason mm-hmm. um, in charge of our country mm-hmm. um, and, and leading us into all of those crises and doing everything, then throwing gasoline on all of them to make mm-hmm. all of them worse. And even as um. He was being voted out of office, continuing to traumatize and damage our country. I just it, it it has it was to me, it will always be memorable as the year we finally fought off a hostile yes. assault, a hostile foreign attack on our country, on our you know, on our native soil, not just a foreign enemy, yeah. but somebody who was actually in the process of damaging and assaulting our country and our democracy. So to me, that's how it lands. It's like, it's like a war experience more than it is like, um, a particular event. There there's not one thing. The, the pandemic is just icing on his case, cake of chaos. Right. Um, and his chaotic and, uh, and incredibly fatal rain uh, of terror on uh, this
0: country. I have to say, my answer to this question would probably be January sixth. I I don't know if any moment I was I was uh, I had cleared out of my house. I'd actually gone to my our studio where we usually were recording this show. I don't mean, say usually because we've done a year of this as you said now remotely. But I was there alone, um, working. And I was not watching the TV. I knew the certification of the results of the Electoral College were happening that day. I think I had been home watching it on television and the process was proceeding and there was some bullshit rally and I thought, whatever. And then I got to the studio, popped open my laptop and there was a fucking picture of some idiot protester who's, we know his nickname, but I'm not even going to use it in some Viking horned helmet on the dais at the fucking Senate. And I thought, What is going on? And I lost it. I lost my mind. I went on Twitter. I went political on Twitter, which I usually don't, I hadn't done for a while. And I don't ever remember being as disturbed and upset and as convinced that our political process might not work and unfold as it should, as I was on that day. And I've never been quite as disturbed and completely absorbed by a news event, um, That unfolded over a sustained period of hours in the way that that did. And it will probably haunt me more than any other moment of this year. And there have been moments, there were buildings burning blocks from my building here. We were in a recording session that day where things really erupted in Los Angeles during the protests and the clash between the police and the protesters really resulted in some ugly moments here in Los Angeles. We were recording and we looked up and there were smoke plumes over Los Angeles, much as you described right. on the on the day of the Rodney King verdict, but that day seeing the Senate penetrated in that way, if you'll forgive the term, I have never been as disturbed, you know, I really haven't. And um it still feels fresh and it still has raised issues that I feel are unresolved. You know, the criminal charges are still proceeding from that day uh, as we record this. You know, it's not, it's, not, it's not finished. I am very happy with how that election turned out. I'm happy that those insurrectionists did not ultimately prevail and managed to thwart the vote um, based on a series of lies that they had been told and fed by people in power who have not been held fully to account. You know, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, you know, I, I, I don't feel that they've really paid. The they're old, still lying. They're still I, it lying. Is, it is and,
1: really like we are still under assault from an anti-dem, anti-democracy. anti There is still an assault on the country that we live in yeah. taking place mm-hmm. um, and people trying to bring an end to the democracy that is this country. Yeah.
0: And I think, and this is I didn't expect this to end on quite such a political note, but it's sort of unavoidable when we talk about this year. Um, there's a, I see a movement underway with some figures on the right who are trying to detrompify, if you will, and to lecture the rest of us about, The difference between a victim mindset versus a victor mindset. You know, it's this language that the right wing has somehow managed to appropriate, that they are the arbiters of personal accountability, that they are the only promoters of this idea. And yet there is this pernicious victim driven lie that the election was stolen from Donald Trump that is not supported by the facts. And there are people who are trying to have it both ways on the American political right. And say, well, we have to look into quote unquote election security because some of my constituents, constituents, excuse me, feel that the election wasn't fair. And it's like, I don't care what you feel. I care what the facts are. I care that all of these investigations into election, you know, whatever, the, the results of this last election did not turn up a single widespread instance of voter fraud that would have changed the results of the presidential election. In a single state. In fact, in many of these instances, um, the elections in that state went to the Republicans, and they were apparently fine. You know, all these people. But the presidential election was lost by Donald Trump. So it's like, I just, it's one of those things that I'm not over yet, and I think the country isn't fully over yet, and I think you're right.
1: It's going to be interesting to see how it played out. When Hillary lost, there was a long period of me waking up every morning going, She lost. Like, I just couldn't quite believe that that had happened. And so at some level, I have some understanding of that inability to accept the reality. Now, we didn't do things to try and restructure the country or take away people's rights to vote. but, But there was a lack of an incredulity over the results. So... But I know that it faded over time, and we began to deal with the situation, and that may be what happens now. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that it will be that we'll start to see people convicted. We'll certainly start to see um, the uh, the traitor president um, convicted mm-hmm. and uh, prosecuted for all of his years of corruption and theft and everything else that he was responsible for. And maybe that will turn us towards a more still, you know, a divided country, a two party country where people don't all believe the same thing, but where we can coexist in a way that is peaceful and accepted and mostly supportive of the democracy that has provided us with the way of life that we all enjoy currently. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. Time will tell.
0: Yeah. And honestly, if, if you don't know that that's who we are politically already from listening to our podcast or knowing anything about us, I don't really think that was an awakening for you. I think, you know, it's, it was one of those moments where I thought that moment, that insurrection was so extreme, I could not leave any vagueness publicly around what my political beliefs were and how I felt about that act. And the things that had led up to that act. I don't mean to take us back down that road again, but you know what I mean. Anyway. Yeah, I do. um, I think the tentative title for this episode is The News That Stopped You or When Your World Stopped You. It may be something different by the time we finally post it because sometimes we talk- the
1: The Day Your World Stood Still. The Day Your World Stood
0: Still. I'm writing this down. And now it's just a matter of remembering. The Day Your World Stood Still. Excellent. Okay. Eric is very good with titles and branding and stuff. He used to work in advertising, so that's where he got all those skills. That's
1: why it is. No, I actually, that's why I worked in advertising, because I have those skills. Exactly. (laughs) Good. Um, Our
0: schedule's a little different this month because our next episode is a Mother's Day episode. That's right. Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club will be serving up a notorious Mother's Day-themed story, and that is the tale of Gypsy Rose Blanchard. Have you heard of her? Uh, we're, uh, if you haven't, you'll find out about her next week. You're uh, going
1: to next week.
0: <laughs> uh, True Crime TV Club, you can enjoy without watching the episode we're going to discuss. And there's some people like our party person, Cindy Comforti, who says she would rather never watch the episodes because sometimes they're slow and repetitive, and she prefers our version. The episode we will be serving up is an uh, episode of the series James Patterson's Murder
1: is Forever,
0: Season 1. Yeah, we've
1: never, we've never watched one of these. We before. have not. This is- Famous novelist James Patterson has started his own true crime show.
0: Absolutely. Season one.
1: Which episode is it? I interrupted you. It's okay. Season
0: one. I'm Man, that Diet Coke is hitting, man. I am in the friggin' caffeine aspartame zone. Um, season one, episode two, <laughs> Mother of All Murders. That is the title. Of the episode should be available on the even streaming though platform. when you
1: look at it on the streaming platform, it says the mother, the murderer of all murders. It does it? I thought I just got it wrong. Oh right. no! It that's actually the name of the episode is the mother of all murders. Where right. You see the episode, but on the write up on uh, the uh, on the streaming service, there was yesterday or whenever it was I watched it. It mm. said. The mother of uh, the murder of all murders.
0: Okay, well, I'm glad I didn't get that wrong in a vacuum. I always like to have something to blame because I did write you something right? that said murder of all murders. This time you've got something.
1: You've got good cover on this one, Christopher. Absolutely. Anyway, so next week Mother's Day tragedy. <laughs> Absolutely. We just reviewed this every political right, every horrible thing that ever happened, and next week we'll be lightening it up with Mother's Day. Murder.
0: Until then and forever after, I should say, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw-Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher.
1: And Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.